BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Spend my dollar. It's not about what you want. It's about what you're willing to do to get it. Run it again. Hello and welcome. I'm not going to, so quit asking. When you give me a hard time. For the listeners that didn't get to go. This is the payback. What you did last year really doesn't matter. Our goal is to have the kind of team that nobody wants to play. Hi. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. You know what? We have a unique halftime show today, so let's just jump straight into the action without further ado. And uh, I'm going to tell you what, this Alabama offense is... It is prolific. Uh, it is dangerous. It is a joy to watch. Uh, Alabama put up 45 points in the, in the first half, which is by itself sort of an amazing stat. I don't know that I've ever uh, recall seeing that. Uh, in seven possessions in the first half, and I'm not counting the one-second possession where the team just took a knee going into half, not counting that. That would be an eighth possession. But the seven true authentic possessions that Alabama had in the first half. Uh, the Tide managed to score six touchdowns and one field goal and had right at 500 yards of total offense. It was 492. Those are numbers that would make you happy at the end of a game. Those were numbers that were true and real at the end of the first half. Uh, just phenomenal. This this Alabama team is, is going to be a piece of work. This Alabama team is going to be uh, very tough to contend with. It already is. Uh, I'm saying going to be when we start thinking about the teams in the playoffs or the periphery of the playoffs. We have Florida coming up in the SEC championship, and then if you think of sort of the 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 Clemson, the Notre Dame, and the Ohio State uh, contenders, if you will, for the the playoffs, they all have to be looking at this Alabama team with a little bit of wow. Those guys are really good, and we know that, and we're enjoying. Uh, the heck out of that. But uh, I think other teams are, are really starting to take notice uh, if they haven't already. You know, LSU is a team, and we're going to get into this. Uh, LSU is a team that we can throw a lot of darts at. Uh, we can say that they've lost a lot of uh, coaches from last season. True statement. They've lost a lot of players from last season. True statement. They don't have probably the best coach in the in the, in the conference, in the country. Probably not even a top 10 coach. And I think we would all agree uh, with that. However, what's also true is if we were to take the LSU talent 
and we were to have uh, some sort of obstacle course or some sort of combine where we're measuring athleticism, this LSU team would perform very well uh, in that regard, especially some of their younger, uh, especially some of their younger talent. They do have athletes. They do have some quality players. They're just not all bringing it together. They're not, they're not gelling together uh, into a, a championship level team. I don't think that this team has the talent to be a champion this year, but they have the talent to be much more competitive uh, than they are. And so I'll put that on their their coaching. But when we talk about this game and the things that we're seeing or, or did see or didn't see uh, in this game, let's not lose sight that the LSU team is is talented. They're not put together in a team construct, maybe as they should be, but the athleticism is there. The talent is there. And I think we'll see that uh, potentially over over the next couple of seasons. But let's celebrate this Alabama team because that's what we're here to do. Alabama put up 55 points, uh, held uh, LSU to 17 points. I think I saw, uh, you know, people clipping stuff from message boards. And, and, and I think I saw something where an LSU fan said, you know, LSU, we need to be excited that we scored 17 points on Alabama and held them to 55. Uh, <laughs> so I thought that was kind of funny. Uh, I like our side of that coin. Uh, but uh, I thought that was sort of uh, I, I got a kick out of that. When we think about the offensive side of the ball uh, for this Crimson Tide squad, uh, I think of the big three and not in a Dallas Cowboys kind of way when it was Aikman, Emmett and Irving, uh, although those are three uh, NFL Hall of Famers. Uh, but when we think about the Alabama squad, I think of Mac, Najee and Smitty. And they all had phenomenal days. Uh, there was enough production uh, certainly to go around. Uh, Mac Jones was 20 of 28 for 385 and four touchdowns. Uh, Najee was 21 carries for a buck 45. He had three touchdowns. And then Smitty, uh, you know, shares some stats with Mac, uh, but he had eight catches. It's amazing that he only had eight catches for prolific uh, a day, is dominant of a day uh, that he had. But he had eight catches for 231 yards and three touchdowns, which is amazing. He had three touchdowns on eight carries or eight uh, catches. Almost half of his catches resulted in touchdowns, uh, which is amazing. Uh, and, of course, he had uh, he, he definitely had um, some incredible catches sort of mixed, in, mixed, uh, mixed in, in the bag there. When we think about this big three and we step back and we kind of look at it from another angle, what if we were to look at it from the angle of the Heisman Trophy, right? If you, if, if you were to script, uh, not just this year, but any year, you were to script, hey, who would we, in a best-case scenario, and I know it's done by voting, uh, but if we could have the five top best candidates, and I know this year they're not going to New York and all that, so let's just say top five candidates, how would you kind of break them down? And you might you might sort of say, recognizing this is more often than not an offensive um, category, an offensive award, you might say, well, let's look for the top three quarterbacks because it is more of a quarterback award, even even offensively. Let's look at the top running back and let's look at the top wide receiver. And if we do that, that's going to be a pretty representative uh, you know, construct. And if it's an, an anomaly year and we need to shift that a little bit or there's some defensive player or whatever, then we can do that. But if, if, we, if the model 
is we're going in thinking top three quarterbacks, top running back, top wide receiver, then that's going to be a very talented room that we're going to have uh, when it comes to sort of the, the finalists and the final selection. So if you use that as a criteria, which I don't think is unreasonable, if you use that as a criteria, well, guess what? Alabama's big three shows up. Uh, Mac Jones clearly going to be one of the top three quarterbacks. Uh, I think uh, I think uh, Kyle Trask is going to be on there. Uh, I think Sunshine at Clemson is on there as well. Uh, you could, you know, there's maybe some argument that that his play hasn't been that good. That maybe there's some argument. Uh, people like Ian Book, that's fine. Uh, if you get to the third quarterback, uh, I, you know, I'll let you sort of uh, select who that is. But uh, I think Trask and and Mac are going to be the top two quarterbacks. But if you go out looking, hey, let's go find the number one. Uh, running back, and there's going to be some metrics in there. It's going to be uh, caliber of play, right? So we're probably not going to go get that guy at SUNY Buffalo, uh, even though he's been uh, tearing up the uh, the yardage because it's just level of competition. You're going to look at some stats, uh, you know, touchdown uh, production relative to peers, and, uh, and, and then you're just going to look for big plays, big sort of moments. And I think Najee performs well on all of those. Certainly the touchdowns, he leads the the nation in uh, in rushing touchdowns, uh, routinely putting up, you know, two, three touchdowns uh, a game, uh, it, or seemingly so. And, uh, you know, big runs, a uh, lot of highlight opportunities uh, when you look at uh, when you look at a Najee. And then uh, when you go wide receiver, you can't not go Smitty. Uh, I think he has 16 uh, receiving touchdowns, uh, maybe it's 15 receiving touchdowns on the season. Uh, I think the number two leading touchdown receiver in college football has 10. Maybe you could argue there's a little bit of imbalance because of schedules and teams not playing, but you know what? Whose fault is that? It's not Smitty's. And so the numbers are what the numbers are. There's a significant uh, a significant sample size. If there were an outstanding uh, caliber receiver uh, somewhere else, then they would rise to the top, and I don't. I, the differential between Smitty and the rest, I think, is 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 pretty clear there. And so, what's interesting when you think about the Alabama Big Three, and and you step away and you look from, you know, what might a model room, a model top five, be from, uh, you know, from a Heisman perspective, it's pretty damn amazing that it's going to be Alabama's top three are going to be in that five. That is just that to me that that is amazing. And if we want to continue the Heisman talk just a little bit farther, <clears throat> I'm going to go out on a limb here. Uh, I'm going to make uh, I'm going to make a I call it a conditional prediction. I think there's a path to Smitty winning the Heisman Trophy. Now, I said at the beginning of the season that uh, sort of a prediction at the beginning of the season is that Alabama would have multiple, uh, maybe not finalists, but multiple contenders uh, for the Heisman Trophy when the vote when the votes were counted. I said that Jalen Waddle would would have the uh, the highest vote count, and then and I also predicted that no one from Alabama would win the Heisman because it's they're going to fragment the the voters. Uh, if you have two or three people from the same team, sometimes if you have two or three people from the same region, because voting is national uh, and there's sort of regional sort of cliques, if you will, that uh, that that can fragment uh, the voting. So I didn't think that anyone from the uh, you know from the Alabama would win, and Alabama having multiple candidates may make it tough for other candidates from the South, uh, you know, to have a legitimate shot. And so that kind of paved the way maybe for, uh, for other candidates. I think there's truth to that. I think all of that, I, I still sort of have an element of truth to, and I'm actually counting on some of that 
when I paved my path for Smitty to have a shot for winning the Heisman, not predicting that he will win it, but conditionally, here's what it would take. Without question, everyone looks for a Heisman moment. And Smitty's sort of piece de resistance or Smitty's Heisman moment was that one-handed grab in the end zone against LSU. If you've not seen that, stop the podcast and go find it. It's 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 the Google machine will have it. That catch was phenomenal. It may go down as one of the most athletic catches we've ever seen by an Alabama wide receiver. And you know, sort of at me if you think someone, uh, if you can think of another play, a different play, uh, because I'd love to have that conversation because I like talking Alabama football. Not confrontational so much as just as just a damn fun topic. Yeah, but uh, I, that catch was just phenomenal. Uh, even amongst his other catches, and he's had some great ones, that stands out. That is an amazing catch. And so with that, he has a Heisman moment that is is probably singularly better than anyone else's. When you distill it down to a single play, think of Charles Woodson winning the Heisman. I'll show my age a little bit, but think of Charles Woodson winning the Heisman as a defensive back, and he had returned some kicks. And he beat out Peyton Manning, which is still sort of a travesty. Uh, I think Peyton sort of deserved uh, the award that year. But the plays that stuck out were the return kicks that Woodson had. And especially, you know, when he sort of struck the pose uh, a couple of times. And so he had that singular moment. And without question, without question, Smitty had that uh, against LSU. Now, what is it going to take? I don't think that alone gets him there. But think about this. And this plays into the Charles Woodson. And it also plays exactly into why I thought Waddle would be the leading uh, vote getter for Alabama. Obviously, he's out with injury. Imagine a world where Alabama plays a team, a highly ranked well-regarded team that also has a Heisman candidate on that team. Imagine a world where that's a highly meaningful game. Oh, kind of like the SEC championship game against Florida in a couple of weeks. Imagine a world where Smitty is returning punts. Oh, he is returning punts because of Waddle's injury. Now, one last thought leap. Imagine... It's a relatively close game. And imagine Smitty makes a big punt return for a touchdown. Maybe that's not the punt return that ices the game. Maybe those six points aren't the margin of victory. Maybe it's still a 14, 16 point win for Alabama, but those are six of the points. Just imagine that. Would that be enough to sway voters? to Smitty. I'm not going to definitively say yes, but damn, that would be compelling. When everything looks like, ah, these quarterbacks, I mean, they're all really good, but they all kind of look alike. What's different? Show me the difference. Those would be two wow difference moments that Smitty has. The catch against LSU and in this imaginary scenario, uh, the punt return against uh, against Florida. Would that be enough to win him the Heisman? Maybe so. Maybe so. 
definitely something to watch out for. That makes me excited sort of thinking about it. And again, I'm not rooting for a close game against uh, against Florida where we need a punt return to win it. But uh, you talk about having tricks up your sleeve. Uh, that that's a that's a mighty interesting one uh, for me. All right, so let's move away from the big three at Alabama because you could spend a lot of time talking about those guys, uh, and and most everyone is. I want to give just a continued shout out to Jaleel Billingsley. His emergence on the scene the last what is it three weeks since the since the double barrel bye weeks. His emergence, you know, we said coming out of the bye, and then we had a second week, and we said, you know, one of these youngsters is going to emerge, and it's going to be Javon Baker, and and it's it's you know, that's going to be that extra little something. Well, it's been Jaleel Billingsley and he continues to perform well and he continues to play well. And he's a, an explosive factor. Uh, you think of a tight end, you think of, uh, you know, maybe the Waylon Meyer at, at A&M is, uh, is kind of what you think about. Jaleel's got a little more juice than that. And he is a treat to watch. And he's creates, he creates all sorts of matchups and, on, you know, on the field, draws coverage away from the other receivers. He continues to, to, to grow and evolve. And this is a guy we need to really keep our eyes on, number 19 on offense, because, you know, he's, he's starting to, to really get into the rotation. Uh, he had four catches uh, against LSU for 68 yards. He certainly had a touchdown, which is phenomenal. But you know what he also had? He also uh, was the go-to target on a fourth and one. And so Alabama's third. And so talk about just the confidence that the coaching staff has in him, that they're going to go to him, you know, not on a first down sort of in the middle of the field, but on a fourth and one, we're going to go to, uh, we're going to target uh, Jaleel Billingsley. And it was a phenomenal catch. Uh, Mac rolled out. Uh, Jaleel had gone sort of across the formation and Mac threw the ball, uh, you know, kind of running and jumping threw the ball, hit him on the and sort of on his back hip, on Jalil's back hip. And that's a tough catch. Uh, he's moving away from the ball. Uh, the ball's coming at sort of, at sort of an odd angle. It's not hitting him in the hands. He has to go get it. And Jalil looks very fluid making that catch. He looks fluid running his route. He looks fluid going back and, and getting the ball. He looks like just a bigger version of a very talented wide receiver. Uh, he's fast. He's agile. He's nimble. Good hands uh, demonstrated on on a catch like that. Uh, just I can't say uh, I can't sing enough praises of of Julio Billingsley. Uh, and so you know, kind of continue from there. Uh, what's interesting is he caught that catch on fourth down. Uh, the next play, I, I believe I'm right. The next play, uh, he had uh, what four catches on the day uh, on that third touchdown drive. He had two consecutive catches. One was on the fourth and one to preserve. Uh, the drive, maintain possession of the ball, and then the next play was a touchdown uh, pass to Jalil. So that that's phenomenal. Tip of the cap to to Billingsley. Uh, again, you know, continue to not be able to say enough about the offensive line. The time that they give Mac is just amazing. Uh, it's impressive. This may well be one of the best offensive lines we've had uh, at Alabama. I know there's been a lot of talk to comparing it back to what is it, to 2011, 2012 uh, offensive line. That was a savage. Uh, bunch as well. Uh, Landon Dickerson is just, he is a beast. Uh, he's a character, he's a hoot, and he is uh, mean as a snake on on the field uh, in the context of the game and within the context of the rules. But uh, he is he is a treat to watch. I hope, uh, I hope some of what he has washes off on some of the youngsters on the team. You like, you know, at least one of the linemen to be known as sort of just mean and vicious. Again, within the construct of the game, 
But uh, I think Landon is that, and I hope some of that kind of washes off on the other guys. Incredible amount of high praise on the offense, and I think that is the takeaway. Uh, but it, I'd be remiss if we didn't call out a couple of opportunities that were left on the field. Uh, Slay Bolden saw some action. He ran a crossing pass, crossing route, uh, caught a nice pass. I believe it was a 19-yard gain. And uh, across midfield, uh, getting the ball down to the 26. However, uh, he he wasn't careful with the ball and had it uh, had it sort of batted uh, batted out from uh, his arms there. And so I don't know if that's a function of him getting limited practice. And so all sort of the ball control drills, possession drills that they do, uh, did he not get as much of that? I do not know. It's just pure speculation. Uh, but that's something uh, that uh, I feel confident that Slade will get corrected. But that that's something that uh, we want to call out as an opportunity there. On the field goal, uh, one of the field goals, I believe it was Alabama's first field goal, uh, there was an incomplete pass to Smitty and uh, would have liked to have seen uh, that catch made. That may have been the – May have been the second field goal uh, that Bryce threw because uh, he had pretty good coverage. Looked like Stingley was was going to get it. Wonder if maybe they should have even you know Bryce should have even thrown that ball. I thought Smitty had a, a really good opportunity at it, but uh, didn't come down. Uh, that potentially could have been a score. And then uh, on the punt, uh, Alabama's lone punt, which was a good punt by the way, but uh, the lone punt of the day there was an incom- uh, incomplete pass to Mechie. and I know uh, there uh, and, and that was sort of the down the field. So why were ta- why were we taking the down the field strike? There's good and bad in this play, right? We're taking this. Uh, it's, it's third and short, and we're taking uh, fourth and short. Uh, it's third and short because we kick a field goal, um, and so we sort of heap the ball. Um, I know we punted. Uh, we heaped the ball up uh, down the field, really into double coverage. And so you think, Mac, what are you doing? What are you doing? And uh, the ball really kind of hit Mechie in his hands, uh, in his basket, could have caught it, should have caught it, would have been a tough grab with all the sort of not pass interference, but all just the interference of the defenders there. Uh, but the placement of the ball uh, is like throwing it into, uh, you know, a, a small bucket you know, 30 yards down the field. It was, it was amazing. Just the play, a moving bucket at that, just the placement on that ball was, was pretty darn incredible. Wish Mechie could have pulled that in, but those are the things that these players can work on. Uh, Smitty and Mechie, uh, as good as they are, they continue to have things that they can work on. Uh, Slade. Uh, so it looks like the receivers there uh, have some opportunity to work on, but still it's hard to get mad at any, anything on the offensive side because just the dominance and, and just the prolific uh, explosion that this team uh, put on the board again, 45 points at half, pretty darn amazing. So let's go mini game ball on offense. And I'm going to go to Emil uh, Echior. I think Emil has, has improved his game over the course of the season. I think, uh, you know, you go back to the Missouri game that feels like so long ago, he may have been the weak, weak link across the offensive line. I'd hesitate to still call him the, the weak link on the line today. I guess if someone had to be, then we could have that conversation. But it was it was much more apparent. Uh, let's call it the the first week of the season. But he's hung in there. <clears throat> he's continued to fight, continue to battle, continue to improve, and uh, I think he's an anchor, uh, one of the anchors uh, across the offensive line. And uh, I think he's positioned himself very very well uh, to be a stalwart uh, across the line coming back certainly next year, perhaps years to come. But here's what stood out to me: there was a play that really sort of captured my imagination uh, with Ekior, and so. Thus, the mini game ball. Alabama was deep in their territory. I believe this was after a turnover. Uh, ball on the eight. 
It was a second and 13, so not an insignificant play. Uh, Alabama's playing a second and 13 on the eight, and the pass is completed to Mechie uh, for a 13-yard gain to convert the first down. But on the play, on the play, uh, and this doesn't happen often, but on the play, Landon Dickerson uh, got beat. Now, what's interesting is we see a lot of plays that landed as – is maybe blocked his man and he's sliding over to help someone out or he's sliding out sort of headhunting someone to to knock on their tail. And uh, in this play, it was almost sort of a role reverse. Uh, Landon got beat, and as the guy was coming around on Landon, Echior was looking for someone to block, had his head on a swivel, and he saw that Landon was about to get beat. And so he ran over, and he didn't deplete the guy, didn't knock the guy over, didn't make anything that's going to make a highlight reel play, but – he occupied the pass rusher so Mac could uh, so Mac could step up and complete the pass. Had Ecuador not stepped in on that second and thirteen at the at the Alabama eight pinned back in our territory, if he had not stepped up and uh, and made that block, then Mac either has to rush the ball out of bounds just to get rid of it. Potentially, there's a sack, uh, creating you know a really long fourth uh, third down situation. So again, I'm not going to project what would have happened had the not had the block not been made. Uh, but what wouldn't have happened would have been the conversion for uh, for the first down, and uh, could have could have gone you know completely a different way. I want to say that ended up being a scoring drive. Uh, do I have it in my notes? It was the first drive for a field goal, so that was uh, that was a scoring drive, and so that was one of Alabama's longest drives uh, in terms of uh, number of plays, time of possession, and yardage covered. So that ended up being one of one of the scoring drives, and so. Uh, hats off to Emil Echior for helping to preserve one of the scoring drives. All right. So I, I promised that we're going to do something a little bit different in halftime. So rather than hear, hear me, this is a better or worse, probably a lot better, I think. Instead of hearing me sort of read an ad roll, uh, what we have today is I had the opportunity to sit down with one of the founders of Legends Strinkwear. And we sort of had a conversation slash interview and talking about how they got into uh, sort of making the glasses, how they got into uh, selecting Alabama. You're going to learn a little bit more about Stefan, one of the one of the founders. You're going to hear a little bit more about sort of the, the drive, the passion that uh, they have to their product. You know what? Let me tell you this. I'd listen to a lot of podcasts as well, and there's a, there's sort of a career coach that I listen to. And one of the things that uh, I are used to listen to anyways, uh, one of the things that he said that was always sort of a kick uh, for me that sort of resonates is, you know, authentic selling is the transference of enthusiasm. And so when I think when I talk about Legends Drinkware, I hope that enthusiasm is coming across, that I'm not just showing a product, uh, but I have sort of genuine enthusiasm in the product. And so it's with that truth in mind that uh, let's go ahead and roll the tape. But uh, I share my conversation with Stefan for Legends Drinkware. I'll be back after this and we'll finish the show. Roll Tide. Is it uh, the one you go for when you're drinking stuff or is it the special evening one? Well, it's it's both. Uh, it's the one that I look for. Uh, it's the one that I look for first. I have uh, I, I'll tell you, I'll tell myself a little bit. I still, you said two of them. So I still have one of them that I haven't unwrapped yet. Uh, oh, wow. And, nice. Yeah. So I, well, I mean, I've kind of opened it a little bit. I did, you know what? I did an opening show and tell on one of our Zoom calls, but I haven't, I haven't used it yet. And over the summer, 
I had a, I had a, I had sort of a run over the summer of breaking glasses. Uh, and I was like, <laughs> the nicest glasses I've had, and I don't want to break them. So I said, I'm gonna put one on the shelf, and uh, and then and then I'll have one, and uh, and then I've got sort of whatever uh, other glasses that uh, that I use if, if this one's still in the in the washer or whatnot. But uh, but yeah, this is the go to. This is uh, this is absolutely awesome. uh, absolutely the go to. I love it. Yeah. That's what it's all about. We're very glad to, to make people happy. Um, <laughs> and the show has been going well. Obviously, it's pretty pretty crazy year. Cancellation and Saban. He's got it. He doesn't have it. He miraculously got rid of it again, thankfully. Um, right. Pretty wild. I, you know, I don't know. I think probably it's hard to know, right? They test every day. Uh, and did he have it or not have it? The first, I, I'm of the mind that he didn't really have it you know, for the Georgia game, that that was probably a false, uh, a false positive because he took, you know, subsequent testing and that cleared up pretty soon. I think there was something that he had that this, this more recent time and whether he, I mean, he got a, he had a positive while he had sort of a runny nose and I don't know, I guess that I'm not a medical expert. I mean, if he had it, he needs to be quarantined and I'm not, I'm not trying to sort of buck any of the system there, but I was like, man, a runny nose in November, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, unheard of. Yeah, so definitely. But, but he sat out some time, and, he, and he, you know, it's, it looks like he's going to be back for this game, so that's good. That's good. Sark did a good job last week, so. Oh, yeah. I mean, if he's, you know, he's a great coach. He just has a little problem with the sauce. Um, yeah. If I remember sure. his time right. in Washington, I think, or whatever it yeah. was. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, it's good to see that he's can return to uh, head coach status and keep it together. So that's, I was, that makes me happy for sure. That makes me happy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. And uh, yeah, in the COVID world down there is, is it you guys, is it like escalating crazy style or is it? Uh, yeah. You know, here, we, where we are here in Atlanta, I think the numbers are, are starting to, you know, tick back up and um, I, I don't know where it's going to, where it's going to kind of plane out, but uh, it's, it seems that, you know, as soon as it starts trending a little bit better and people go out and, and, and think that it's done and, and there's sort of another wave. Right. And so I don't know, it, it, I guess it'll be interesting. And then you get into sort of the regular flu season. And, and so what is it, how does that sort of, you know, commingle the confusion? I don't know. I, I, what's interesting and my wife and I talk about this, like I, I, I take it serious, right? I do. It's a serious thing and everyone should take it serious. Not everyone does, nope. but everyone takes it serious. What's, what's sort of tricky about it is some people have it and it won't bother them at all. And then some people will die from it. And it's like, wow, that's a pretty wide range of, and, and so, you know, on a day over day basis, I want to think it's no big deal, but you, you, you know, you can't, you can't sort of take that. And so I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes I'll answer a question more flippantly and it'll sound like, oh, he's one of those people that doesn't take it serious. But that's not true. <laughs> it's just it's just a weird thing. I don't know. It's so know. weird. Yeah, it's just like literally you have it, didn't know it, you're passed through, you're fine. And then someone else, you know, granted even, obviously it's definitely picking off the older generation, but I've heard, you know, first-hand accounts of people in their 40s and, you know, mm-hmm. just – cannot shake this thing doesn't know what happened thought they were going to die wrote writing their goodbye letters on their you know their notes in their phone and yeah and the right. long haulers and all that stuff but it is um yeah and then you forget that it's a pandemic You're like no actually this is happening this is this is still happening it's it's wild but yeah we're 
just going to play safe, play smart, and hope that these vaccines are what they tout them to be. And uh, we'll move on, move on to getting back to some semblance of normalcy. Um, right. How has this impacted you guys? How has it impacted your business? You know, luckily, the studio where we make this is it's massive. It's like a airplane hangar. So we can have separate areas for people and their teams that work together and everybody is being very responsible and they have their own. So when you're blowing, there's like you have pipes and tubes and all this stuff. So you have everybody has their own stuff, essentially. So you might cross when you're gathering glass or something else, but it is it allows us to maintain, you know, safety precautions. Um, and as far as growth and it would have been better in a lot of ways if we could have been on the ground at a lot of these schools to launch but it's also been a slog trying to get as many schools approved as we wanted um the licensing companies that own them like learfield img uh pretty much they own a hundred licenses they're like the big one they've been around for a long time they own most of the radio stations, rights, all that stuff. And there's a smaller company that owns a couple. But it's just been – they've been very slow with the approval process. We've been working on some of these schools. We were working on the Oregon State for like seven months, and they finally got back to us like a week ago. All right, you're approved. So the slow growth, the slow organic growth is definitely the way, you know, it's actually probably a good thing so we can figure things out. Right. Because it's not just we get the proof and then we hit go and move forward. But it's been good. You know, we're definitely – Slow and steady, slow and steady. You know, it's um, marketing is challenging because you can't cast like a super wide net. With Facebook has been tricky. So we're actually starting to target more. We're about to launch a whole campaign on a local or an Oregon sports network, like the number of the, the, the station that broadcasts all the Ducks games. We just signed on to that. So that should be pretty exciting because instead of casting wide net, we're targeting exactly who are yeah the people that are the diehards that are listening to the radio that are you know on their lunchtime or whatever it is and they can't get enough and so um we're pretty excited they cut us a pretty sweet deal so um we're excited to and we're trying to figure out what the best combination of marketing and way to reach our audience is so baby steps forward um but exciting stuff we definitely see the potential and hopefully you know we hope to have maybe 30 schools by the end of 2021, maybe more, you know, we're just going to keep stacking them up and keep pushing forward. So, uh, exciting stuff. Yeah. It's been fun. It's been fun. Cool. But challenging. Well, hey, talk, talk, talk about, and I'm, I'm going to segue into yeah, yeah. questions that I have here. Right. And so Stefan, talk to us about, you know, sort of your background. Talk, talk to us actually about, you know, how, how you guys got started. Right. Uh, I was looking at your website and it read like, it read like a, a glass blower and a sports marketer walk into a bar and outsprings, you know, legends drink wear, right? So how <laughs> I like that vision in my head, but how, how close to reality? How did you guys really get started? Very, very close to that. I've uh, it's three of us actually. Uh, I've known the other two grew up together and they're from St. Louis. They've known each other since crib. I've known them for over twenty years. They're just incredible artists and I've been working in collegiate sports marketing for just about 20 years as well with the University of Alabama 
you know, we've done a ton of stuff down there. As I've mentioned to you, we were the first company that I worked for at one point that installed all the LED signage in Bryant Denny Stadium. So before they had that LED board running along the, the sidelines 100 yards long, that wasn't there until our company put it in. And we made all those fun graphics, the go fight win, right. boom hours, you know, all the all that kind of fun stuff. And we, we built those graphics and really got to taste the experience. So we we had been talking for a little while about being able to bring something incredible to sports fans, something special Mm -hmm. because we just didn't feel like it existed. You can get your, there are nice stuff and there are cool things, but there's nothing new that's really happened in sports merchandise for a long time. Maybe, maybe a pop socket is kind of new. But other than that, there's nothing really that new that you can't, that you can't, that you can find on fanatics or whatever it is. So, um, we decided to take a, what we thought would be magnificent and change the game a little bit and create something for the end user, something that you can enjoy on a daily basis. Not something that the only time you're going to see your hat or your shirt is when you look in a mirror and you're like, Hey, look at me. I look pretty good. Um, you are the sports fan. You are the passionate one. You are the one that is torn over that they're going to make this fourth and long, whether they're going to do score a touchdown, whether they could go to the championship, how the season's going to go. So we felt that that person should be the one that gets to enjoy the logo in all its glory in a new way that they haven't seen before. Um, so we just started kicking out prototypes, kicking out prototypes, kicking out prototypes. The reason we started with the University of Alabama is that I've been working with them for about, you know, since 2001-ish. And I've grown very close with a lot of the people that work at Crimson Tide Sports Marketing in the stadium. My first game was 2005 against Middle Tennessee State, big rival. But it was actually, it was, you never forget your first time at Brian Denny, but you really don't forget this one because it was three days after Katrina. And I was down there and we were like, are we going? We're not going. And we were there and they had turned all like the gyms into um, places for displaced families to go. Um, you know, FEMA meetings in our parking lot. You we were driving in. I think we, I think we flew into Birmingham or something like that. You just saw all the destruction that had taken place, and it was just a crazy, crazy time to be there. The emotions were heavy. They had stickers on their helmets because everyone's family, you know, was just displaced. And yeah. um, I actually volunteered. So I was like, I got to do something. I went down to it was one of the rec centers and uh, volunteered and was making instant grits for uh, some people. And I was like, I'm here. I got to do something. And it was right. a really, yeah, it was a really, you know, heavy time to be there, but a really magical time to be there as well. It was also my first time at Dreamland Barbecue, which is always magical. Yeah. Um, All, right. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I've been around, but uh, <laughs> you know, we knew that if we couldn't do Alabama, we really didn't want to do this at all. If you can't get the best, why even mess with the rest? So we put in a ton of time and really try to dial it in the best we could. And, you know, the end result has been something, something sensational. You know, as you guys have known, you've seen, you've experienced, it's a, it's a pretty special experience to have. It's a pretty, we made something that's such an essential part of life, drinking, like liquids. We are humans. We need liquids, you know, whatever kind, for better, for worse. Um, to get us through the day, it's essential to sleep and it's something that's taken for granted. People don't really think about it too much. Um, we wanted to create value and experience in something you do so often. And it just made sense that we could make this spectacular 
glass that represented pride, tradition, and excellence that you could hold in the palm of your hand and you could enjoy every single day, whether that's Saturday, whether that's March, whether that's whatever day of the week it is, you can celebrate your team and enjoy them whenever you want. Um, we want just like, you know, you said you wanted to grab a glass. This is the first glass you look for. Um, why not? Um, you know, we all need a little extra joy in our days um, during this uh, COVID time as well. So if there's like a little extra way for us to connect with our fan base, our people, um, something that just makes the simplest part of life a little bit more meaningful, that's really uh, something we're glad to contribute to this, uh, the current day <laughs> environment. Right. You know, what you said is exactly right. You can get hats and shirts and shoes and, and, and sweatshirts and sweatpants and everything that has, you know, your team's logo on it. And, and, and you can get, you know, drinkware that has, you know, it's sort of emblazoned, you know, on the outside. What I think is cool is almost the unexpected nature of, you know, the placement. And the closest thing maybe I can, I can liken it to is um, I used to have a Harley Davidson and everywhere you looked on the bike, you would see the little shield. And if you were, if, if you were taking off the, 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 you know, the, the cover on the, uh, you know, to put air in the tire or you, you know, you were tweaking, you know, a bolt or you'd take the gas lid off and, and, you know, to, to fill it up, there was something in there that had, you know, the, the, the logo. And it just made you feel like, cool, you know, I'm, I'm part of, you know, this, I enjoy it. It's part of sort of identify with it and to see the logo sort of everywhere. And the glass is cool because there is an unexpected, you know, how, how many drinking glasses do you have that have, you know, something on the bottom? I think when I was a kid, I had a bowl that had, you know, the Flintstones in the bottom. And it's been that long ago since, you know, I want to get to the bottom. So <laughs> the Flintstones. And, 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 you know, the glasses, you know, they, they have that. It's a, it's a super slick uh, logo and there's a little, there's just enough sort of unexpectedness uh, to, to the placement that, that I think makes it, makes it cool. And then you talk about, and it's probably sports fans in general, I think college football and, and this is true. There's a, we element. Uh, We don't, we don't talk about the team as them. We talk about the team as us. We talk about the team as we, and so anything that you have that that has the logo that makes you feel you know that much more connected to you know I guess, ultimately I guess the product uh, then you know there's satisfaction to be derived from that. And as as far as I'm concerned, you guys you know hit the hit the ball out of the ballpark uh, on that one. That's you know that's really cool. Talk about sort of the glass blowing uh, process, right? Uh, and and you know and how you sort of get the the logo in into the bottom. I think about I probably have sort of a mental snapshot of how it works but i don't have any of the jargon sort of educate us a little bit make us make us feel like uh make us feel cool about uh you know how that process works i think when i was a kid i got all these stories when i was a kid i think it was when i when i was a kid i went to uh pigeon forge and uh silver dollar city and uh they had sort of some guy you know sort of blowing glass you know sort of an exhibit i don't think he was really making anything but uh it was just you know sort of a tourist thing and so when I think of blowing glass, I think of this hillbilly guy, you know, blowing glass at Silver Dollar City back in 1982. It's probably much cooler than <laughs> that, actually. Talk about that process, how, how, how you guys blow the glass and, and, uh, and, and make these cool glasses. Um, it, is, it is a super fascinating and engaging um, art to watch. You know, sometimes watching people paint isn't that cool. Sometimes making pottery, you know, there's they all the end result's amazing, but sometimes the actual process isn't that engaging. But glass blowing 
is just so captivating. Um, the studio that we have is in Portland, Oregon, and pretty much all of the machinery in it were was built by my partners. They're very smart guys, engineering, artistic brains where, you know, um, from the kilns to the glory holes to um, everything in the shop they have built, which boggles my mind because I'm, I'm somewhat smart, but the way they're like, yeah, we just build that. We just did it. Um, the glory hole is this, um, it's kind of uh, there. Yeah, you got to explain yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so there, it's, it's kind of like a vessel that contains glass in it and then it has all these rings of different sizes so it allows essentially and there's hydraulics so you can open up there's these set of rings to allow to get more glass or less glass out of this pot of vat of molten hot glass um so it is just you know funny name but it is um it is pretty useful and it's pretty magnificent the way they just hydraulicize everything but essentially the process here um we use eco-friendly glass there's no lead in it it's just as strong and a little bit lighter than um, leaded glass um, and it's a mix of a couple different types of glass to create the the look and quality that we're shooting for and we you gather the glass um a couple times you have to blow a little bit of a bubble in it you know sometimes you'll see it on uh, PBS and they'll blow it and it'll be like this massive, massive bubble. We start off with a smaller one and really just try and shape it. And then essentially we gather the glass a couple more times to put some more on it, keep it warm. And then we blow it out and then you actually like swing it back and forth to elongate the glass. It's just wild. It looks like liquid. And then we built, you know, we've kind of created this on our own because this hasn't really been done before. That's the other unique thing about us is that in this world, you it's rare you find a product that didn't exist. It's always a variation on something. Sure, glasses did, but a glass like this, no, this was never done before. Um, so there's a mold, essentially, with doors that open on top of it, and we stand on a platform, and then it's the glass is on this long rod, and then they blow into it, and they slowly, when the when the temperature is right, they drop the rod and the and the glob of glass into they open these doors and then they drop it into the, the mold and they hold it there. Then they close the doors on top of it and they blow into it and they stretch it out and you have to wait till the time's exactly right. And then you hit the pole a couple times to shake it loose. And then you wiggle it when it's just right, the temperature's right. And then you pull it out. Um, and then you close the doors again and you know, it needs to have the right amount of temperature, time, glass blowing. There's all these like it looks super, just like hitting a home run, you know, on uh, against a major league pitcher. It looks super easy, uh, <laughs> um, but you know, it takes it takes a, a real true uh, professional to be able to do it very well. And then you know they go in the kiln, and then they're essentially we make one size for both the pint and the tumbler. And then once it's done, it goes into the kiln and then it goes over to the hot popping shop, which is essentially they take the glass and then it's on a spinning, almost record player type plate. And then there's a torch that goes on it and they use a diamond and they score it, um, which means they're just cutting the glass to the height that they want it to be, whether it's the tumbler or the pint. Okay. And they use this diamond and it spins around and then they, they it, it'll cut this perfect line in it and then they'll pop the top off. And then we have all these torches that look like lightsabers that are pointed at the rim um, of the glass and those are utilized to smooth out the rim and to create the perfect lip um, you know and 
one thing that you you know i mean these are all individually made these aren't machine made in china or anything like that and they all have their own little personality their own perfections that make them each unique in their own way um and uh you know when they're done we uh yeah everything gets done in the shop um they go back in the kiln and then we're we're ready to rock um and we go through the process of evaluating to make sure they're up to our standards and if they're good enough they get shipped off to a lucky customer and if they're not we recycle them and uh make some more so you answered a, a- I think you answered a question that, that I wanted to ask and, and I was going to think maybe it was a silly question, but uh, if, if you, so we all have had a, a glass that we've broken in. And so in the manufacturing process, you probably every now and again, glasses, uh, every now and again. Right. And so is that, this is either a really good question or a really dumb question. And I don't care if you tell me which, which it is, if the glass has been sort of cooled or tempered or, or whatever sort of the, the, the back end of the process is, could it then be, you know, almost literally swept off the floor and put back into sort of the, the slurry or the lava or the sort of the liquid glass mix, or is that sort of, it's beyond use nope. at that point? It can be used again. Absolutely. Cause everything, it's so hot in there that everything else burns off. So it's just literally molten hot glass. It is like the T2000. Oh, there is some globs I could show you pictures. It's, it absolutely looks like that. It absolutely does. Yeah. And most of, you know, I would say that 40% of each glass is legend glass is recycled glass. Um, you know, we're trying to be as eco-friendly as we can and trying to, you know, do good in these roles. And that's the other benefit to having a glass as well is that, you know, we're trying to, Everyone's trying to do their part and be yep. good to the planet and all that good stuff. And, you know, glassware is something that you can use over and over and over and over again. Um, don't have to wear plastic. Don't have to wear wearing out. Um, so that's another wonderful benefit. How hard is it to, to perfect the logo? I mean, I really only care about the Alabama logo, but you guys have others. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> and we'll add additionals. How, how hard is it to perfect the logo sort of in the bottom of, of that? I'll call it a template, but... How hard is that to, to perfect? We call it the puck. Um, it is not easy. I wish that every time we got a new skull, we just press a button and be like, okay, here's this one. Because each logo is so unique in its own way, and some work so well, and some are super challenging. We had, a, And we also, for Alabama, since they were um, our first, we had to go through a couple of different processes. We 3D printed one. We had one machined. We went through, you know, it's it's all about, you know, making sure it holds true to the logo because the optics come into play as well, whether there's liquid in the glass or not, because there's a layer of glass on top of the actual logo that you see. Each logo is its own challenge. The big, bold, blocky ones like, you know, the Oregon O, super good, easy. Um, we just did FSU. That one was, we didn't do the seminal. We did the hand, the written FSU. That one was its own challenge. Mm-hmm. We're actually doing the Oregon state beavers now. And that one's very detailed and very, you know, it can't even be machined. It has to be 3d printed. So each one is its own little journey and making sure that, you know, making sure it maintains the integrity of the logo, making sure it comes out very well. Um, and you know, some of them are a little too detailed for us to do. Some might be too big of a challenge for us to accomplish, but it's, it's a fun journey to try and figure them out. Um, and you have to put vent holes in the bottom of them so it breathes properly. There's all these like little details of complications. Um, as they say, glass is a fragile business, and it's 
it's true. It is true. Um, we've had to go through many badges. So a lot of badges had to be like discarded because of some issue or something that's happened. So, you know, we're just trying to provide perfection. So the end user like you, you know, only sees the beautiful. Right. Right. Well, we yeah. appreciate that. These are, these are, like I said, these are, these are certainly cool. Talk to us. Uh, you know, you had mentioned, you had mentioned a little bit earlier uh, about the licensing process and, and, uh, and, and, you know, talk, talk to me about that a little bit. I, I, you know, even just in your early discussion, you know, I, I learned a little bit about, you know, you mentioned Learfield and I'm, I'm used to hearing sort of Learfield uh, sports. Uh, they own the Alabama, you know, sports network and Eli gold and all of that stuff. But I, I'm, I'm probably not sure that I realized that they owned the licensing uh, for the individual schools. And so there's a part of my brain that says, Hey, if, if Learfield, for example, if they own multiple licenses for multiple schools, then that's almost, you know, one-stop shop or Occam's razor on getting a whole bunch of licenses. It sounds like maybe it doesn't quite work that way. Talk about that process. Maybe maybe some interesting stories that, that we wouldn't know from the outside. It is a journey. Well, Learfield, they're just this giant billion-dollar company, and they have they have bought up a lot of other little companies. You know, that's where the radio comes in. That's where IMG comes in, and they just recently also, I don't know, recently, they own the CLC, which is the Collegiate Licensing Company. Or corporation um, and that's the company we've always seen for years and years and years with the little holograms when you buy um, a crimson tide shirt or whatever else you see those little hologram stickers and that's what they pay for that's the licensing but you would think that it would be super simple but each school is its own animal each school has very very passionate people that um, need to uphold the standards of their school um, and some let you just like, okay, cool. Let's get this going on. Let's, let's make this happen. Other ones are just, no, we're going to need to see so much stuff. It's insane. It's just jump through so many hoops that it has become a little bit of a challenge on certain schools that were like, okay, we'll talk to you in about a year. Um, but for the, yeah, it, you know, and it really, it's very, it's been, it is unique. And that's why we chose college football first too a because as we discussed earlier college football is who you are and professional teams are where you are and we really you know having worked in college for so long we wanted to appeal to that and we could pick off individual schools and go for those ones first instead of just going we got everybody or we have every nfl team okay let's go do that um so as far as you know i wouldn't say anything funny about it except the pain (laughs) And we've gone through trying to get <laughs> right. each one of these licenses and just push it forward and get our decks together and just get the models. And the biggest challenge is explaining the unexplainable when we're going for new schools and we're trying to explain that we have created this product that is unique. Oftentimes like, well, it's drinkware. It's not unique. So they'll shut it down without even realizing what we're talking about. So I've had to go back to so many schools and be like, okay, hey, listen, actually, it sounds familiar, but it's a little unique. Let me send you these so you can take a look. Sorry, they're from your rival, but uh, that's how uh, for yeah, (laughs) (laughs) because we for Washington, University of Washington, they denied us. And I was like, well, you want to check out the Oregon Duck ones and see how you think it is? She's like, oh, yeah, for sure. Cause you got to keep up with the Joneses, you know? Um, and they're like, these are great. We need to be involved. So we got them going on as well. Um, but yeah, it's been fun. It's been fun. We're looking forward to, you know, with us, we just want to, we just want to cover all the bases. So when 
it's such a great gift that you're even if you're a passionate Alabama fan or the other school that's in Alabama, you know, you can share this with someone you care about, even though you might have different sports views, um, because it's just so, so sure. such a cool and unique gift. Absolutely. Absolutely. I was looking at your website and with the teams that you offer, which, which reminds me, I, I need to talk to someone, uh, because previously Alabama was, you know, you look under products and teams, Alabama was in the first spot and I noticed we've been repositioned Uh-oh. to the second spot. So, you know, Florida State's here. So I don't know who to talk to, who we need to talk to. That about seems... that. But uh, maybe we put them in alphabetical order so. or something I like that. I think so. I'll call know. IT. I'll call IT. <laughs> but it looks like, um, you know, it looks like you guys have added uh, FSU in, in Miami. Uh, you've got a couple of schools sort of on the way. You know, I probably want to spend that spend you know questions a couple of different ways. You're a Florida guy. I started right? my collegiate career at the University of Florida. Yes, yes, a long time ago. So you and I we're good for a couple of weeks, and then we'll have to take a couple of days off, and then and then we'll be good again. <laughs> but um, but that's how that works, right? But uh, how does how does it bug you a little bit that you've got the LSU or I'm sorry FSU in, in Miami, but you don't yet have the have the Gators there? What's they're in they're, the works, right? They're they're, they're definitely they're in, the works. in the works and. You know, now relocating to the Pac-12, I understand. I learned a lot going to the University of Florida. Football is a completely different animal in the SEC. It is so different. It is not even funny. I mean, I think the SEC gets it. Uh, I don't know if the Pac-12 gets it, but there is passion like nothing else in the SEC. It is crazy. And that was like what my time at Florida definitely taught me. Um, is just how rabid those fans are and how seriously they take it. I've heard some stories, Woof. but uh, we are, Florida is definitely in the cards. We're picking and choosing, you know, and the reason we've wound Alabama was first, Oregon was second and uh, the rest of them just are falling into place as the licensing companies sure. approve them or the schools approve them. So we're just at the mercy of, of all these schools. We've submitted applications so long ago that we're just waiting to hear back. So as luck would have it, Florida State's just like, okay, here you go. Like, all right, chop, chop, chop. So the, the uh, you know, the, the FSU, like you said, is just the, the, the script, sort of FSU. And when I think of Florida, they have a script F that they use sometimes, not a whole lot. It's more of sort of the gator. That might be a more challenging logo to put it in, in a glass. And I'm thinking your process. I'm not talking football. But the process of getting that in the bottom of the glass begrudgingly, I would say that would be a good looking glass, but that, that might be a tougher logo. Is that fair? Absolutely. That's why the beavers is the first time we've actually ventured into the animal mascot realm. Um, so this is uh, really the test. Like each one we do is kind of a building block. Each logo we do is a building block for the next one. And so far we've been trying to stick towards the, the big, bold letters, you know, to just get those figured out. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> right. now, now we're, now we're heading into a little more complicated territory with this beaver. And if we can pull this one off, it, it's sky's the limit. Sky's the limit. No, that gator would look right. great in the bottom of a glass for sure. All right. All right. Easy. Enough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it would still probably be in <laughs> third place or fourth place in the sec, but you know, it still look good. So, uh, so I'm going to ask an unfair question, uh, and 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 I get this is an unfair question. So you guys are ramping up. The, I mean, these tumblers are phenomenal. I, I don't yet have some of the pints, but you know, I'm sure that those are equally as cool. And so, 
where you're sitting, you're like, let's continue to refine this process. These classes There's a hundred more schools that we'd like to like to go with. Oh, there you go. There you go. I see what you do there. Very nice. And you're probably thinking there's a hundred more schools that, uh, that, that we'd like to add on and, uh, and sort of roll out that way. That's probably the right answer. But the impatient part of me says, gosh, what's next? What's the next cool Alabama thing that you guys are? And so, and so you could say, look, we're not that far along. And that's probably a good answer. But what are you thinking in terms of what might be next? Uh, or, or is that, am I asking too uh, future forward think question? No, I mean, we would really love to expand uh, the options for each school. We, we looked at doing a little bit of the elephant. Mm-hmm. We, we've also done some prototypes with some stuff on the side. We, we're kind of mixing it up. Um, the thing is that just the A is just so strong and is just such a, such a recognizable uh, image. What I'm, we're open to suggestions. What do you got? Yeah, the A. The A oh, yeah. The Wolfie Yeah, man. yeah. The classic. Yeah. Now, that's challenging. Oh, yeah. That would be challenging. That would be challenging. But, uh, what would... I'm, in, I'm in an age demographic that uh, we identify with the, with the Walking A. But the script A, I, I do like, don't do the back, don't do the, the Bob Bachroth urgent elephant. Okay. You, don't, okay. you won't sell anything. Okay. But uh, the Walking A is cool and the script A, we all love the script the A. The script A is where it's at. And that would be, if we did a second one, the Walking A would be your request? Well, I mean, if you're taking requests, Always, yes. <laughs> always. We love to hear from the people. Fantastic. What do you want to tell us that I didn't ask? What, what question did I not ask? You know, at the end of the day, really what we're going for here is we just want to brighten people's worlds up. And there was a major issue with us when every single sports memorabilia merchandise that we saw said the same thing on it, no matter what team it was. It said made in China, yep. made in China, made in China, made in China. And we're just fine. Most things we buy is, but are, but we are American sports. We, we should have quality American made sports products, things you can be proud of, things that are unique, things that are exclusive to America. And we really set out to do that. Something you can count on the quality, you know, where it's made, it supports American workers. Um, that was very, very important to us. And especially these days, you know, I mean, job security is, it, it's just, you know, <laughs> it's on everybody's mind. Anybody who's a diehard fan like yourself, who finds out about these or sees them or gets it in their hands, their jaw drops. They just cannot believe. It. And especially in this holiday season, Gifts are, you know, this is the time. And it's so it's so rare when you have these people in your lives for so long. It's this challenge. What am I going to get them this year? Oh, man, I got to, you know, you have to get gifts every year for these people. And it's so hard to pull out that home run gift, that very extra special one where people are like, how did this happen? Where did this come from? I need, I, this is this is the greatest. Right. This is unbelievable. It's so rare that you get that. You know, we get some cooking stuff or you get something for the bar. You get, this is nice you know, something for the grill. This is nice. This is fun. But to get that jaw dropping, oh my gosh, this is super freaking cool. I can't believe I didn't know about this. That doesn't happen very often. And what this does. That was the thought bubble. That was a, that was, I think, I think that was a direct sort of quote or text from the thought bubble above my head when I first saw it. I was like, I've got to have these. These are, yeah, I'm sorry. I got you off, but that sounded very familiar. I identified with what you said. Um, and it's just, you know, it's, it's, everything's been done these days. And to have something new and fresh at 
a cost that is a premium product, but for the use you get out of it, for the years of enjoyment you're going to get out of it, it's a small price to pay for the quality craftsmanship and American made uh, passion that went into it. It's a small price to pay. And when you give this gift to someone and you see their face, when they pull it out from under the tree and they're just mystified of what this is, they see the label, they're like, what is what? And then they unwrap it and they're like, this is the coolest thing in the world. I'll be right back. I got to go fix my glass. That's yeah. right. Have the eggnog yeah. ready when you start opening yep. gifts. Be ready yep. to go. They are, their minds are going to be blown. So um, we're, we're just really trying to get out there and just get in front of people and show them something new and amazing that exists. Fantastic. Stephanie, these, these, these glasses are, are truly, I think, as, as unique as, as fans are. They're, they're unique as, you know, everyone identifies with their team. Uh, almost at a visceral level, and and these these glasses, unlike sort of the you know sort of the made in China, stamped off the assembly line kind of thing, the these glasses sort of scratch that itch in a way that that other other gifts don't. And so uh, I think you guys have have de- definitely hit a hit a home run here uh, in terms of you know what you've got for the Alabama fan base and other fan bases as well. We certainly appreciate your affiliation with uh, with our podcast. And we, we certainly appreciate you hopping on with us today uh, to share a little bit of the Legends Drinkware uh, story. Folks, jump out and grab them for uh, holiday gifts. Check out legendsdrinkware.com. Uh, you can use uh, code AFB10 for a 10, uh, 10% off. And if they're running uh, a, a sort of a different or better discount, then use that and find a field where you can tell them that we told you uh, about them. But uh, go get some drink glasses uh, for yourself and your friends and family, and you'll certainly appreciate it. Thanks so much. Roll Tide. Roll Tide. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. All right. Fantastic. Welcome back. Let's flip the field and talk Alabama defense. Uh, we're breaking down Alabama LSU 55 to 17, dismantling and the number that's going to stand out to a lot of people is that 17, 17 points allowed. That's going to be, to some people, they're going to allow that to be evidence that the defense, oh, the defense, oh, limit the defense, limit the defense. Just stop it. Would you just stop it? 17 points allowed by the Alabama defense on Saturday was the most since Alabama allowed, ironically, also 17 points to Tennessee. And you think, man, the Tennessee game was a long time ago. You're right. It was. It was four games ago. Uh, but uh, on the clock, it was about six weeks ago because of, because of the bye weeks. Or it's about half a season ago. And so Alabama has not allowed 17 points in approximately half the duration of the season, which is kind of impressive. And so allowing 17 points, we've talked about LSU being an athletic team, a capable team. Hey, they're on scholarship too. Uh, and so the fact that they scored 17 uh, should not be the end of our world. Uh, but let's dive into those uh, those 17 points a little bit. Two of the touchdowns, so 14 of the 17, came on big plays. And so I don't like Alabama giving up big plays, but they're singular plays. They're not a uh, systemic continued breakdown of the defensive performance. They're singular, isolated events that just happen to yield big plays. And so let's look at this, right? The two big plays, one was a pass, one was a run. If you accumulate the yardage on those two two plays, and it was 97, 98 yards. Uh, I added it up earlier. I don't have it right in front of me. Uh, but I did the, pulled out the calculator, did the math. 
the yardage on those two plays represents 28% of LSU's total offense. If you listen to Saban in his post game, he, you know, he sort of breaks it down and he gets into more sort of technical uh, speak, if you will. But, uh, you know, he talks about, hey, it was a gap fill on a run. And so we missed a gap fill in the running back. Uh, it was well blocked. We missed a gap fill. They have a talented running back. He ran it in for a touchdown. And on the pass, it was a miscommunicated. Uh, uh, it was a change of call. Uh, it, it was They had some motion. They realigned. And so we were going to turn off the safe, the, the corner blitz. So we were going to corner blitz. They shuffled their personnel and we turned off the corner blitz and everyone knew about it except for the corner who blitzed. And so Josh Joe blitzed and he was not back to cover the wide receiver. And so you have a wide open wide receiver and, and you think those are very singular plays and easily correctable. And, uh, and when you play a sort of a live fire opponent, sometimes just being a little bit off, and this is why Saban is so precise on the execution, get it right, get it right, and practice it not just to get it right, but practice it so you can't get it wrong, and which, which is aspirational, but that's the goal. And so when you have – when there's that kind of edge and you appreciate that there's that kind of edge and someone breaks a play – it's it doesn't represent sort of the end of the world. It represents we had a singular miss. I think back. I use these examples with regularity. I think back to a Va Tech game probably seven years ago, where we are Alabama defense is thoroughly dominating uh, the Hokies, but on one play, a linebacker is a step and a half out of position, and the Hokies bust an eighty-yard run for a touchdown. That's because the linebacker isn't square in the hole. He's a step and a half lateral. He's a step and a half, you know, body, his belly buttons turning towards the sidelines instead of the line of scrimmage. And he's a step and a half away. Well, if he's able to make that step and a half, get in place and have his belly belly button facing the line of scrimmage, he makes a tackle in the hole. It's a two yard gain, not an 80 yard gain. And so that's an example I use. Uh, I like to use the D Milliner example, his freshman year against Arkansas, he gave up a big, you know, 80 yard touchdown because he bit on a fake and then got beat over the top. Well, he never got, you know, he never got beat like that again over the rest of his career, right? It wasn't an example of, oh, he's a ratty player. He shouldn't be out there. No, it's let's learn this lesson and not do it again. And and that was true for the Alabama run defense in nearly almost for the entirety of the rest of the season because that was game one. And it was certainly true for D. Milliner, who went on to be an All-America at Alabama, it was true for him the rest of his career, right? And so why can't that be true for this defense as well? And, in fact, I think it is. I think it will be. Uh, we didn't see uh, very many other big plays uh, from LSU. Look, they're talented. They're going to move the ball between the 20s, maybe kick a, a field goal. But those are two touchdowns you could reason that they shouldn't have had. Uh, and I'll split the distance with you uh, if we force them to punt off of one and they drive down and score on another uh, you know, then that's going to be, you know, that's going to be, a le- that's legit as well. But when you look at 17, let's understand that. Let's understand uh, what that, uh, what that 17 means. I'm also going to, and this is not excuse making, but this is facts. These are the facts. Alabama had three sideline assistant coaches not available for the game. Uh, now is, you know, we could look at, and, and look, this is uh, Freddie Roach, defensive lineman, South Sanceri linebacker, and Carl Scott, the cornerback coach. Now, are technically is, is, is 
uh, is Carl in the, in the box? I probably uh, as a corner coach. The point is though, these are the position coaches and they, and we missed one at each level for the, for the game. And I'm going to, I'm going to go so far as to reason this uh, Saban missed last week. Right. And missing out on Saban at the game, that's a big deal. But in the moment, you know, Saban is guiding the ship. He is guiding. He's the captain, you know, on the mast guiding, you know, the shrimp, the, the, the ship. If the bar is out of cognac, that's not the captain's fault, right? That's the bar manager's fault, right? And so you can, you can be responsible for the entirety of the operation. But if there's a slip in a specific location, that's not necessarily the fault of the, you know, the, 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 the captain of the ship, the head coach, I'm butchering a bad example. My point is, my point is this, Saban being out is a big deal, but in the heat of the action, in the flow of the game, the position coaches that are talking to their units, talking to their guys, every play, every between plays, they're going back to the whiteboard between it. What did you guys see out there? Okay. How we're going to adjust on this. They're having those live fire conversations uh, with the players to have one, to have the position coach at each, at each of the different levels of the defense out for this game. I'm going to say for those players, that's a bigger deal than Saban missing the game last week, because the, the, the flow of the game, how many players on the team do you think talk to Saban during the course of the game? Not very many. In fact, most of them probably don't want to talk to him during a game because it's it's a very animated conversation. And so you think about, oh, you're going to take away a coach that, I mean, I like the coach, but I'd really rather not have to talk to him on game day. And I usually never talk to him on game day. Am I going to miss that guy or am I going to miss my position coach that I talk to between, oh, not every play, but between every possession, we sit down and whiteboard this shit. Who are you going to miss more on game day? You're going to miss the position coaches. And so I think all of that sort of congeals into, yeah, 17 sucks, but I'm not going to lose sleep over this, right? Because, you know, this is what we call reasons, not excuses. Uh, so I'm not going to belabor that anymore. But um, uh, I would say this. If you're down on the Alabama defense and you're down on Pete Golding, I ain't going to fix that. But this is not the collapse you're looking for. I'll say that. Uh, individual performances on the defense. Will Anderson continues to emerge. Uh, he had two sacks on the day. Is this a crack the seal moment on uh, Will Anderson? Let's see what the rest of the season holds. I think uh, potentially so. Uh, Christian Harris continues to be uh, just incredibly active. He had uh, seven seven tackles and uh, half a sack on the day. Any number of players you want to call out, uh, Josh Job, uh, uh, Malachi, Daniel Wright, uh, before he had to sit down. Uh, Barmore uh, had a sack. Uh, PS2 had, I don't know how he was only credited with one deflection, uh, but uh, he was like sticky tape all day covering the receivers. Just a lot of players on the Alabama defense continue to perform well. I know a lot of people are not really pleased with Dylan Moses's play. I've sort of not ventured into those waters, although I don't entirely disagree. But I tell you what Dylan is doing that, and, you know, we kind of predicted this too, that he was going to be the cheat code for Christian Harris. Christian Harris was going to be better sort of all by himself, second year in the system, uh, sort of learning the, the ins and outs. 
but that he was going to play with a higher level of confidence, a higher level of comfort with Dylan being out there, and that uh, that d- the presence of Dylan would help amplify Christian Harris's production and performance. I think this is true. I think that continues to be true. Uh, I stand by that, and I don't think that's just me trying to to sort of carry water for Dylan Moses. I just think there's truth to it, and that's where my head is uh, there. I think when we think about this Alabama defense, there's I think there's an adjustment. There's a a, a mentality tune-up that I, I think probably a lot of fans could benefit from. When we think about the 2020 Alabama defense, and our first inclination is to compare it to the 2011 or the two, 2012 uh, defense, I'd suggest you're doing it wrong. Uh, that's it, That's the easy comparison. It is not an illogical comparison, but it's the wrong comparison. Because guess what? We're not going to suit up. I don't think they've adjusted the schedule in such a way that this Alabama team is going to line up and have to play the 2011 Alabama defense. I don't think they've figured that out yet. So to compare them uh, to that to that team is is an interest to those defenses and is an interesting exercise. But it's the wrong exercise. It's a frustrating exercise. It will lead to frustration. Here's the comparison we need to we need to look for. Now, this one's a little trickier. It's not. It's because it's not pure just apples and apples. There is a little bit of apples to to pears sort of conversation here, and but it's not in an inappropriate way. We need to look at can this Alabama defense impact an opponent's offense more than that opponent's defense can impact Alabama's offense. And so that's not a one-to-one. You just kind of look at them side by side. That's a, that's a layered, more complex comparison. But let's just play with Florida a little bit because they're coming up and we all kind of got them on, on, on their, on our minds. So, Alabama's defense doesn't play Florida's defense. Alabama's defense is going to play Florida's offense. And so can Alabama's defense stifle? Let's assume the offenses are equal. I don't think they are, but let's assume so you so you can sort of play with the point a little bit. Let's assume Alabama's offense and Florida's offense are, are the same. Again, I don't think they are, but let's play uh, play with me a little bit. If they're the same, then the question becomes the defense. Whose defense can have a greater impact on the opponent's offense? Could Alabama's defense tamp down Florida's offense more than the vice versa? Florida's defense and Alabama's offense, right? And so it's it's sort of a it's a cross pollination type conversation. And uh, I don't think my explanation clarified as much as I would like sort of the point that I'm getting at. But I think the offenses aren't equal, right? I, I think. Alabama's potentially dynamic in both the passing and the running. I think uh, Florida is more dynamic passing and probably more anemic rushing. And so you could reason it's an easier task for the for the Alabama defense. But can Alabama defense stifle Florida's offense more than Alabama's offense can be stifled by Florida's defense. And I think that's the compare. That's the real comparison. And, and and it's a harder comparison. You know, when you're comparing it to these other te- these other Alabama teams, you're comparing that outcome. And and we don't know the outcome 
from from all of the games and all of the opponents uh, with this defense uh, in in this season. So, at any rate, uh, I probably butchered that and I probably belabored that more than I wanted to. But you got to look at it. I think for my money, I have to look at it the right way. I try to want to look at it uh, the right way, and so you have to compare what can this defense do against uh, another offense. And, uh, I mean, there's some questions there. How do we cover uh, – and we'll get into this maybe in, in, in a different point, but uh, how do we cover those guys uh, and, and how, do we take, how do we take some of the air out of, out of the ball or how do we take some of the air out of the, the Florida offense? And I think this defense can do that to them more consistently or enough more to create a, a differential that's positive for uh, Alabama. I don't think Florida's defense can completely do that to Alabama because it's just too dynamic in, in too many different ways. All right, I'll stop talking about that. We'll do a Florida show later. Uh, but again, the key to the defense is making the right comparison. And let's make the right comparison when we think about the Alabama defense. All right, mini game ball for the LSU game because we are talking about the LSU game. I'm going to Marco Hellams. I have liked me some DeMarco Hellams. We've sort of settled into uh, a rotation the Alabama team has where Hellams comes in. Uh, he is, he's the, he's the strong safety. It's a weird sort of thing. He's a strong safety that uh, he doesn't come in and nickel. He doesn't come in and, and die. he comes in. Uh, he doesn't come. He's part of the base four, uh, but he's the backup. He's the backup for Daniel Wright. And so he doesn't come in. I think early in the season before Brian Branch sort of developed uh, uh, himself, he was coming in in dime packages. And so now he's not coming in at dimes, but we do change. You know, typically in the third quarter, we change our defensive backs. And so we, we rotate Daniel Wright out and we rotate in DeMarco Hellams. And so the the other primary starters play with both Daniel Wright and DeMarco Hellams. It's just an inflection point uh, in the game. And so what's interesting, and, and the fact that we've done that the last couple of weeks actually made losing Daniel Wright uh, to maybe a suspect targeting call against LSU it made the transition. It made sort of the loss of, of Daniel Wright much more seamless than it otherwise would have been because we've done this sort of weird thing where uh, we've rotated safeties at, in the third quarter. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but uh, at any rate, DeMarco Hellams came into the game much, much earlier than he otherwise would have and played you know many more snaps. I don't have a snap count to break down necessarily, but uh, he played a lot more reps than he otherwise would have. And I thought he acquitted himself uh, very, very well. For my money, he's a very physical player. And uh, he made a couple uh, of very physical uh, tackles while he was in the game. And that was certainly fun to watch. So uh, hats off to DeMarco Hellams. He's going to be sort of a tricky player next year when we say, oh, we've lost so many guys from our secondary, whatever that number is. Hopefully not as big as it, it could be. And then we're going to roll DeMarco uh, Hellams in there and say, oh, and then people are going to go nuts over uh, we're replacing so many guys, and DeMarco Helms hasn't played a whole lot. And the truth is he will have, uh, and uh, he'll be a stabilizing force on the team next year. Not dissimilar to, to what he's doing this year. So, uh, anyways, I run on. But uh, DeMarco Helms, mini game ball. So, special teams. Oh, my favorite stat line of the day uh, came from special teams. Ooh, can you guess? Can you guess? Can you guess? Alabama had zero kick returns. Alabama had zero punt returns. Oh, we took the ball where they gave it to us. I like that. And so that, I think, is my favorite stat line on the entire day. There were no kick returns uh, for uh, for Alabama. And sometimes that's fun because if if the you know, that counts punts too, right? And so if you're not getting any kickoffs, 
Uh, I mean, you're always going to get one. Uh, but if you're not getting any kickoffs, you know, that typically can mean that the other team isn't scoring. Uh, but uh, LSU scored three times and a kick to open a, a uh, uh, one of the halves. And so that's four, but we had zero yards of return. And, of course, no punt returns. Uh, we're taking the ball uh, uh, where they give it to us. And then especially on punts, their punts were a little shorter, and so we were letting them drop and, and sort of be covered. But I think we realized, hey, let's play it a little safe on some of the punt return guys because we're thin in those areas. And anyways, I just got a kick out of seeing no quick returns, no punt returns. So that may have been not literally my favorite stat of the day, but the most fun stat for me uh, of the day. We'll say that. Will Reichert, man, what do you not want to say about this guy? Uh, he's phenomenal. 707 on the PATs, uh, two of two on field goals. Had a couple of weeks where maybe he hasn't kicked a field goal. He had a long of 34, which is not, you know, an incredibly long kick. But here is what's amazing about uh, Will Reichert. And we talked about this on the Zoom call a little bit. And um, and I'm not exactly sure who who said this, uh, but uh, someone made the comment. And, I'm you know, it's just I'm going to sort of repurpose it. Someone made the comment that, hey, you know, Reichert's kicks are all down mainstream, uh, Main Street. I think Clint said this you know, all of Reichert's kicks are right down Main Street. And that got me thinking sort of like, you know, like a golfer, right? And so, well, the the ball's going to go sort of kind of in that direction, but is it going to hook? Is it going to slice? And so you think of like a scatter shot. Well, if you kick enough of them, you know, some of them are going to go through their uprights and some of them aren't. And maybe we don't know which is which when when uh, when ball and, and, and foot connect. And, um, and that, to me, sort of summarizes the last couple of years uh, at the at the kicking position, and Reichert, on the other hand, this is true on his PATs. This is true on his his kicks. They go down Main Street. Uh, they are line drives. Uh, there there's an urgency that that ball has uh, in getting to and through the uprights, and that's exciting to see. That feels like hey, we have a kicker that knows what they're doing and what their intent is because they are unleashing. They're not questioning which way the ball is going to go. They know which way it's going to go, and they're letting the leg go uh, and uh, and kicking those those line drives. They've seen. Uh, I saw this on Tyler Insider earlier today. Uh, a poster commenting um, about uh, why don't we have uh, anyone that can kick it, you know, in, uh, on kickoffs, uh, you know, out of the back of the end zone. Why are we only kicking it, you know, to the five? I think we're doing that intentionally. I continue to stand by that. I think that strategy, I'm not suggesting that I agree with the strategy, but I understand it. And then let's just say that that's not strategy. Let's just say that Chase Allen's getting a lot of the work on the kickoffs. Let's just say that Chase Allen can't kick it out of the end zone and kicking it to the five is absolutely the best that he could do. You could reason then, do we need to find someone like a real Reichert? And he's doing some kickoffs too. Uh, but not all of them. Uh, we want to take Will Reichert and we want him to to do kickoffs as well, uh, because maybe he more accurately or more consistently can get them into the end zone. I think that'd be a reasonable conversation. But I'd say this, and I'm, you know, it's a conversation. It's the endless conversation about protecting a, a player from from injury and should we think about this. I'm just putting this on the table. Reichert, who Saban has you know, publicly said he thinks is the best kicker in the country. And he felt that last year, just Riker couldn't, uh, Riker was injured and couldn't play as much last season. We recall how he was injured. He was injured on a kickoff, not a field goal, not a PAT. He was injured on a kickoff where he kicked the, 
what it was not the stand, but sort of uh, the uh, whatever the the holder, and not the personal holder, but sort of the holder that you put the ball on to, to kick it off. Uh, he kicked that, and that caused him to uh, injure his, uh, uh, his sort of hip hip flexor. And you think about, oh, well, then why the hell do we have him doing that? Let's not have him do that because he's more important on these kicks, on these field goals, having him available uh, for field goals. And so maybe we have him kick, you know, just a little bit to to sort of loosen up and and stay competent and capable on the kickoffs. But let's not make that his his primary thing. His primary thing. Uh, or the the field goals and PATs. Maybe I'm overthinking that a little bit. That's fine. But uh, I think it's a strategy that we kick to the five. And uh, I think there might be some intention in splitting kicking duties for just just, uh, what we're talking there. All right. Next up, Arkansas. And so, you know what? It's I think there's a lot of sort of folks. This is interesting, right? Because where are people's heads and are they rationalizing all the available data sets, right? It's been easy to sort of laugh at the ACC for canceling games uh, to sort of preserve Notre Dame and Clemson, their opportunity to, to get two into the playoffs. Uh, it's easy right now to sort of laugh at the Big Ten that maybe they're changing some of the rules to preserve Ohio State's opportunity. Uh, there's also the other side of the coin. There's been some wonder Hey, why does the SEC do that? Why don't we ca- cancel these games, you know, next week uh, and just do what uh, the Big Ten is doing? Even though we're laughing, uh, not the Big Ten, the ACC. Even though we're laughing at the ACC, maybe we should do what they're doing. And what's interesting, and you know, and then you juxtapose that with when the SEC, it just means more. Uh, so we're going to play these games. But what's interesting, and damn, this is good strategy. What's interesting is, hey, SEC's already kind of stacked the deck, right? Remember when they added the the two games? They went to ten and they added the two games. You remember who Florida got? Are you remember you know Florida? You remember who Georgia got? You remember who Alabama got? And so when you think of sort of how are we going to stack the deck? We're going to do it less blatantly than just canceling a game, and uh, we're going to do it early enough that kind of everyone forgets about it. And so while everyone's sort of pointing fingers and laughing at ACC and uh, Big Ten. And then quietly saying, why don't we do the same things they're doing? The SEC, where it just matters more, I think we're going to play those games. And the SEC, where maybe we've got this shit figured out more than others, we've already done our deck stacking. And uh, all you media guys have forgotten about it. And so that's cool. I kind of like that. I kind of like that. So, look, what's going to happen is going to happen. We're going to, we're going to, play, the, we're going to play the Hogs. I think Arkansas has been a pretty good story this season. Uh, you think about uh, Sam Pittman and such. Uh, I think it's been an interesting sort of story. But what's interesting is, you know, they started out three and three and uh, now they're three and six. They dropped three in a row. Funny how these things sometimes happen. They're right back to where kind of everyone predicted them to be uh, near the bottom at the bottom of the SEC West. So sitting at three and six, uh, I don't know what Mississippi State is. They're going to be down there, too. But uh, they're going to be, you know, they're going to be at the bottom towards the bottom of the SEC West, which turns out, you know, that was a prediction. And that's pretty much where they are. This Arkansas team, like I said, great story. Like Sam Pittman, they're overmatched, and I think Sam would tell you that. Uh, he loves his players, and he's a player coach, but uh, I think he's going to tell you that. They've lost to Auburn. is a team that we took pretty good bit, uh, care of. They lost to Texas A&M. In fact, they allowed, allowed 42 points to Texas A&M. Uh, they lost to LSU, and I think we have a, a recollection here of what we did to LSU. And they lost to Missouri on Saturday. So that's current. They lost to Missouri on Saturday. They gave up 50 points to uh, said Missouri team. All of that in, in the heat of the battle because that game went down to late in the fourth quarter. 
Uh, I think uh, Alabama score allowed 17, 24 maybe to miss uh, to Missouri. And, uh, and there were some angst over that, uh, but they scored most of those points after the game was effectively over. And um, uh, Missouri scored 50 points on, uh, on Arkansas. Uh, like I said, sort of the heat of the contest. Uh, I mentioned three straight losses. They went from three and three to three and six. And so you wonder if the wheels have fallen off the train there. All of that coming off the LSU game, coming off uh, an Arkansas team that I don't think will tank, I think will play hard, but they are beat, battered, and ready to be done, uh, I think is a fair uh, fair assessment as well. And so if you take all of that together and distill it together and you're like, how big of a number are you going to have in your prediction? I'm going to surprise every one of you. My prediction for this game is 38 to 10. My prediction for this game, and it's one of those things that Saban would, would throw his shoe at me, uh, if he heard me say it, but uh, from the confines of, of my home office, from the security of my fandom, I think this is a game that you look at and you say, where can we get some guys some rest? Where can we have guys at a lower injury potential going into the SEC championship game against a tougher uh, opponent against uh, against Florida? We're getting to this point where, hey, we've started to play multiple games in a row here. Now that we're back. Uh, we potentially are going to have multiple games to play here in a row with Arkansas and in Florida. Where is there an opportunity to take some snaps away from some of the starters? And I think we actively do that. What is a game plan that gets us to getting the starters out midway through the third quarter? And I think we do that. You know, can we get 28 points in the first half and then – maybe slide into some backups. And again, it's that conversation that if so, someone's going to ask Saban this week and he's going to he's going to throw rocks at him. And I think that's my prediction. I think Arkansas is going to be competitive. Uh, if they get an early field goal and a late touchdown, it probably sounds right. And does Alabama uh, sort of call the dogs off early, not wanting to – I mean, we have no beef with Arkansas, not like we did LSU. And so – do we call the dogs off maybe a little bit and rotate some guys in earlier and often, maybe getting them some reps for a, a playoff stretch, maybe taking some miles, uh, some mileage off some of the some of the primary guys? Yeah, I think we look to do something like that. And so when we think about the, the Arkansas game, for my money, that's the key thing to look for. When do we start rotating and who do we start rotating? I think that's going to be an interesting thing to watch. And so when you look at all these games, we've been scoring, you know, 40 and 50 in a 63 point game. Oh, my God, what are we going to do? These hogs, we're going to have we're going to be eating brisket at halftime and all of that. You know, probably there's some truth to it. But this is this one's going to stick out like a thumb, like, huh, Alabama scored 38 points against Arkansas. What's up with that? Well, it's going to be about. Where do we rotate guys in? And so that's going to be something to uh, watch for when when we think about the Arkansas game. All right, so one more thing I want to cover, and that is the Legends Drinkware Contest. Look, we're running a contest. You guys know this. These are the coolest, slickest glasses, I think, that are available. Uh, we're running uh, through this one last game. We're going to do uh, our – we've uh, got our second contest going up. And I said something sort of kind of off the cuff last week, and the more I think about it, the more I'm going to do it. So we have uh, a number of entries in. It's not a huge number, so the odds are still in your favor. I'd like to get five more entries into the contest. That'll get us to a number. And if we get five more entries into the contest, what's interesting is everyone that has sent me an entry, 
they've mentioned a player and I'm like, Oh, I love that player. Here's what I think about that play. Here's like my initial thought on that player. And so to me, that's been so much fun. I'm thinking if we get five more entries, that'll be, you know, potentially five new different players. And that'll give us a a sort of a, a hefty sort of collection of players. And I'll do a bonus show where we just talk about everyone's entry and sort of my favorite recollections with those players. I've mentioned this before. We all sort of have our own sort of hall of fame, our personal halls of fame for Alabama players. And what greater, more fun thing is it to do to sit around and talk with other Alabama fans about their favorite players, right? And sort of exchange notes and stories and, oh, you like that guy for this reason. I like him for this reason. And, and do sort of that comparative sort of thing. And so every time somebody has sent me a player, I've enjoyed like, oh, that's so cool. You like him for that reason. I kind of like him for this reason, which is kind of like yours and kind of maybe a little different, kind of something else. And so I thought, wouldn't it be cool if we had, you know, 15 or 20 sort of players, entries, still a low number, still great odds to win. But then that becomes sort of the meat of the backbone of a, a sort of a fun, you know, playoff season, holiday season show. Uh, where we're just shooting a shit about some of our favorite players. So uh, let's get five more entries in, and I will do that show, and uh, we'll put that in the works. So, again, uh, I think that's what we've got. Yep, that's what we got for today. So you know what to do. Roll Tide. This has been another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Roll Tide. Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, or just to shout out a Roll Tide. We are where you are. iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, email newsletters, T-shirts, free roster downloads, and of course, on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. Check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the Tide. Got that, Coach? Of course. Roll Tide. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.